Welcome to the Guide to Your Psychopath. Because of time constraints, I've had to cut this episode into two parts. This is the second part. All right, so we're going to keep going. This is part two of this, and I really want to keep this conversation going because I love your energy, <laughs> and uh, you are an awesome woman. Oh, thank you. Um, so you started talking about this uh, dry cleaning place that you worked at, but that uh, they were treating you bad, and you started saying about your relationships. Oh, I'm going to get into that right, right now. Okay. We're going there. Okay. Had you had a lot of relationships before that? No. Okay. I started dating this guy during my time at the dry cleaners, and that was like my first official relationship, right? Okay. But he was a big machista. <laughs> Funny how that's been part of the theme of this conversation. This whole thing. Very yeah. controlling, very macho, very... You fall back on what you're used to. What I had known, what had been modeled, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. What had been normalized for me. And, um, and it just wasn't working out. We dated for a year, and then he broke up with me. And I remember I cried so much. I thought, what am I going to do without him, right? This is what, what I thought at the time. Try me now. But at the time, <laughs> I thought, what? So that ended. And then... We, hold on. It's, you, he, you were dating him while you were working at this... Uh, I meet him during this time. Yeah. And during this time, I'm starting to also get involved in social justice work, activist work. And I meet him through a friend. And he never helped you out with anything. No. He was such a taker. Oh, my gosh. He lost his job during the recession. And we would now I'm working at the dry cleaners, making very little money, right, and saving as much as I can. I, t- I told you sometimes I had $20 for the week to eat. And then I told myself I deserve better. And I go, and I'm terrified but I go and I apply to, at a different restaurant and where they ask for Social Security. And I get hired on the spot. And I give them a fake social. I mean, I do what I know how to do, what worked in the past. Right. Right. And I give them this ID with my picture on it. <laughs> Obviously a fake ID. I mean, read between the lines. Yes. And... I get hired, and I'm like, I'm in. So I'm going to be here till I can. So now I'm, I had just started dating him, so I'm working there, and I don't confide in him that I'm undocumented. I, eventually I did, but at first I didn't. So I started making more money because I knew how to serve tables. I came with a lot of experience, and you know I'm getting my paycheck, and I'm making my, my tips, right? So I'm starting to feel more stable, less stressed because now I have money to eat and survive. And he loses his job. And now every time we'd go out, like I would pay. And then I started noticing, hey, he's starting to like, he's just really like literally kicking back and not even offering. And he's eating good. (laughs) So I remember one time uh, we had gone to a 7-Eleven and we had gotten some hot dogs. And he was just like, like, well, yeah, you're paying. And so I remember being really upset. But, and by now I have a car because I had saved money from the dry cleaners and I got myself a car. It was a carcacha, like it was falling apart, but it was mine. And he would ask for my car to borrow it. So he had taken my car and, uh, for the weekend because he went to his re- retreat and brought it back with zero, zero gas. What and kind of retreat did he go to? Some church retreat. He was Catholic and he was really involved in his faith. So he went to a church retreat. Um, 
brought it back with no gas. And he, very entitled, we'd gone to get some, some hot dogs and didn't even offer to pay. And um, I'm really upset because I'm feeling used and devalued. So I tell myself, you know, I need to have a conversation with him. And he, uh, we sit in his front porch and I begin to tell him, hey, uh, I won't say his name, but hey, so-and-so. I probably should just, so like. <laughs> Blast him. Come on. So then, maybe later. And so I tell him, hey, and I'm being so nice, right? P- trying to practice like my communication skills. And I tell him, hey, so I noticed that, um, you know, you took my car and you brought it back without gas. And now every time we go out to eat, like, you haven't paid and it's starting to really add up on me and it's a lot of pressure. And I'm thinking maybe we, we shouldn't go out to eat as often because it's starting to be a lot on me, right? And, you know, maybe in the future, like you can use my car, but just make sure that you help me out and put gas and just bring it back the way I gave it to you. And he, his reaction was, how dare you? You are my girlfriend and I thought you were here to help me and now you're rubbing it in my face and it's over. Meanwhile, he's not even paying attention mm. to your feelings. Nothing. Nothing. He's like, it's over, and how you are not a nice person because you're rubbing this in my face. And so he broke up with me, and I remember crying and telling him, no, please don't. Let's talk about it. And I don't recognize that, that young woman anymore, thankfully. But at the time, I was petrified of losing him, and... um that goes back to everything that I had seen previously, right? My household from my role models. And um, eventually we broke up. It just wasn't working out because of that. And he began to be interested in somebody else who he had met at church. We broke up. Two weeks later, he was dating this other woman. Now I realize what a gift that was. I mean, had I known then what I know now, him and I probably would not have even been friends, and much less, he would not have had, even had the opportunity to get close to me to date me, right? So, but I didn't know any better then. And you just, you don't know what you don't know. Nobody's ever taught you that maybe your partner should be your best friend. No, right. And, and it wasn't that way. So we break up and now I'm working at this other place, right? And I meet this other guy. And it's about nine months later that I meet this other guy. And it moved really fast. I mean, we go on a date, and next thing you know, we're like boyfriend and girlfriend, and next thing you know, we're living together, and next thing you know, we're engaged. Four months into that relationship, I was engaged. He had proposed, and I was engaged. Hispanic guy. He was Latino, Mexican-American, born here, very much Chicano, very, very Americanized, spoke Spanish, but very broken. So I'm serving tables. I meet him at work. He was serving tables, too. And then he begins to be physically abusive, and he begins to put his hands on me. Mm. Oh. This, this doesn't say a lot about Hispanic people, about the men in this, in this country. I mean, because obviously nice guys are out there, but the only ones that seem to be putting an impression on people in general mm-hmm. are machismos. But I think, I think abusive men 
are live across the board in any community well, in, in any culture, yeah, right? Obviously, but I don't think it's something that's just unique to Latino men. Um, I think there perhaps there's more prevalence of abuse in Latino communities because of machismo and because of how women are fostered to to be more demure and stay in our lane, right? Submissive and tolerate the abuse and tolerate. Um, certain way of being treated and I went back to him time and time again despite of his very severe very 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 severe um, grievances of him putting his hands on me and, 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 and harming me and I, we dated for a little bit over two years, and it was a roller coaster of really, really low lows, and just some high highs. But it was it was absolutely awful. It was a nightmare. And eventually, the relationship ended after two and a half years, going on three years. It ended with me putting a restraining order on him to having to go to court. And really after that, choosing to never look back. However, I thought I'm never gonna look back and it's gonna it ended there. But what people don't tell you is the harm, right? And you really, yes, having to look back to do your homework and dismantle and understand what happened there. So as painful as it was, it has been, and at times continues to be, for me, it has been very beneficial to have to go back and, and ask myself and, and deconstruct right the reasons why I tolerated certain things and ask myself why, and how do I prevent that from happening ever again, and building myself up, and the most important thing, healing, and asking myself, what, can I, what did I learn from that? So that's the type of work that I've been doing since that relationship because a lot of trauma had existed already from many of the things that we have talked throughout the conversation, right? From my childhood to so many other things that today's time would not allow for me to go into the, the, the bits and pieces of so many incidents throughout the years of abuse, of neglect, of going hungry and what that meant for me and seeing my sister suffer, right? But um, I think that there was a culmination of all of this when I remained in that relationship. I was pulling out all of my tools from my toolbox in that relationship. And I didn't have a lot of tools also. And there was so much harm and there was so much pain and I just wanted to be loved. So I thought, I'll accept what he gives me and what he doesn't give me, right? And so with time, um, I left him and never looked back except to do the work and be in therapy. For healing. For healing, yes, because I deserve that. And I want to be a better version of me. And I've healed 
beyond that beyond that relationship, right? Healing, healing and giving that little Erica the love and the time and the acknowledgement that was not given to me, even when I was in Mexicali and my parents were getting a divorce and there was so much chaos and nobody sat down to talk to me and hug me and kiss me and tell me that everything was going to be okay. As a child, to see, you don't understand, but you're not dumb. You know there's something bad going on. Your parents are being split apart. Your sisters are crying. You feel a level of responsibility. You're being yelled at. You're being bullied at school because now you have an accent. Then you're being bullied here because you don't speak English. Then you feel uh, disenfranchised and completely removed from your community and society because you just learned that you don't have papers or you're not good enough. And the pressure of you have to make money and the pressure of this and the pressure of that and pressures that I put upon myself too. To succeed. To succeed because I wanted to be loved, accepted, and liked and acknowledged. Not just through school, but through other right to say, hey, look, I can make it happen. Hey, you know, I can have this car. Hey, you know what? I can pay my rent. And really trying to figure out what really matters to me. And so since that relationship, I, I've dated other people, and it's been vastly different because I put in the work to get to know me, to get to forgive. You know, forgiving him and my other ex, that was the easy part. Forgiving them was so easy. Forgiving me, having to forgive me for allowing me to be placed and tolerate that type of abuse has been a really, really, really hard and big pill to swallow. To be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, I love you and you're worthy, and you deserve to be with a decent person because you're a decent person, and you deserve to be talked to with respect. You don't deserve to be slapped in the face. You don't deserve to have a, a, a black eye and have to cover up with makeup to go to work. You don't deserve for someone to spit in your face. You don't deserve for someone to, to hit you on the legs. You don't deserve any of this. You deserve better. You don't deserve to be taught that you're a secondhand person. No, exactly. You, you contribute to this society, exactly. to this community. Exactly. Exactly. Now, you talked about that uh, you started getting into uh, social work. Yes, social justice work. Social justice work. And what does that mean? Uh, well, that's a big, complex question. What does that mean? Because social justice is so so complex, and it, it's it's such a big umbrella to it. Uh, but social justice for me has been, I started with environmental justice. So this is right at the time when I started working on my second job serving tables. And even previous to that, I started to see all these social injustices. I began to see how undocumented people were treated differently. I began to see the type of shame that society put on saying, yeah, I'm undocumented and it's not my fault. You know who you should be pointing the finger to? Not me. The immigration, the government, the immigration system that this government has created, that's who you should go confront, not me. But in the, but, uh, uh, not letting women being able to get a higher education, right? Treating the, mis the poor treatment of women, making sure that all of these injustices uh, are addressed, ensuring that uh, the people who need the most resource resources are getting it, that people are treated fairly at work, that there are no rates outside of someone's job or inside someone's job. 
So I started getting involved with social justice, specifically with environmental justice, and I started to organize. I started to learn about how to create local change policy at the local city level. Then it went to uh, regional, and then they moved to state, where I started going to Sacramento to lobby for bills and started sitting down in meetings where we started drafting bill language. Uh, and eventually I was hired for this at this nonprofit, and I was there for six years. So I left my job serving tables. I served tables for a total of 10 years. And after 10 years, I left that job, and I focused entirely on social justice work. was there for six years. It has been the love of my life. I love community organizing. I love being with people. I love talking about the issues that we're seeing in our community, right, in terms of what type of discrimination are you experiencing? What are people who experience houselessness need, right? Mental health. How, what type of resources do you need? Uh, do we have a shelter here for women, fatter women? I know how much that helped me. Do we have a shelter for better women? Are they being treated humanely and, and in a dignified way there? So having these conversations to find solutions. So after six years of working there, I went back. So the, so the DREAM Act passed and uh, DACA passed in 2012. I filled out my application in 2012. I got it in 2013. And when I got it, I got the approval letter that I had gone DACA. I ran to the nearest computer, which a friend loaned to me, and I applied for college. Now that you had your social. Now that I had a social. And that lets me know, or that let me know at the time, how hungry I was to continue my education. So after eight years, after getting my, my, my associate in undergrad in a community college, I went back to get my bachelor's, and I graduated with my bachelor's in 2016. But all of this happened because of this policy, this, this, this activism from others, myself included. But you're not talking about <laughs> trying to give people something they don't deserve. People deserve to get educated. People deserve to have a path to where they can succeed in mm -hmm, life. Mm -hmm. Not just sit there, but when they... you As as hard as you worked all your life, right. you wanted to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And that you're, that's what you're talking about. You, you know other people that have similar situations. Right. And that's what you're trying to do. Yes. I mean, I want other people to benefit from, from DACA, to benefit from having access to good paying jobs, despite of their legal status. I, that's, that's what I'm seeking, right? And so I understand because I have been, um, I am the result of all of this hard work of getting these policies to pass, DACA to pass as an example. And I'm able to apply my social security to, to get a job where I can go to work and not be petrified because there were times when I was working, serving tables, and the manager would call me to the back just randomly for anything, right? Like um, something came up in this something, right? Or we got this or this order didn't come out right. And they would call me and say, hey, can I see you in the office? And you'd be petrified. I would scared. be I, scared. Is not even does not even really encompass how I felt. I was petrified because I thought maybe this is it. 
they, they, they learn that I'm undocumented and I'm going to get fired. Eventually, that's what happened at Coco's, right? But when I moved to the other restaurant, it was the same thing. Sometimes the manager would say, hey, Erica, can I see you in the office? And I would be like, this is it. I'm going to be escorted through the back door. And I would walk in there and they'd be like, hey, we got this big order. I think you submitted it. Um, what's this? Or something, anything. But I would be absolutely scared because my, 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 my livelihood depended on that job. So now that I have DACA, I'm able to go to work in a dignified way where I'm not scared to death that I'm going to get fired. So the question is now, because I'm privileged to, to be able to go to work in a safety uh, manner, but what about those people who don't have DACA? Because you have over 8 million people who do not have DACA, who have zero protections and, and are living here in the U.S., right? Women who are in situations like I was with my ex, who they're being abused, their, their partners putting their hands on them and hitting them, and they don't have access to work because they don't have a social security and they don't have any type of protections here, and they're fully depending on their partner to survive. So they suck it up, and they, they, they stay there, right? So yes, access to work and access to money provides people access to options. And when you don't have those options, I mean, you feel stuck. Now, <clears throat> you said 8 million people. Mm -hmm. That's being conservative, I yes. think so. Yes, What do you think, because I know we have policies in place to give people green cards to come into the United States, but mm -hmm. those... From what I hear, because I've never had to do anything like that, but mm -hmm. what I hear, those policies take way too long mm -hmm. for somebody to get that. I mean, when you're trying to escape the, not only the cartels, mm -hmm. and trying to do all that, the crooked, uh, the crooked politicians and stuff from anywhere, mm -hmm. any one of those countries from down south, mm -hmm. and you're trying to make money so that you can send back to Mexico or Guadalajara or wherever. Mm -hmm. And so you can support your family. Waiting for six months is six months too long. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people that I've met throughout my whole life, mm -hmm. either in Riverside, in Marina Valley, in wherever I, I lived at. I met people that were here illegally, whatever, that were working hard. Mm -hmm. And I saw them, 12, 15 people stacked up in a house because they wanted to save money so they can send back. Right. Those guys would benefit from us having a better immigration system. Yes. Is, is there anything like that being discussed by our politicians? Yes. I mean, there, there are various policies and initiatives that are being discussed, but in Congress all the time. And then you have social justice groups, such as the ones that I have been involved with, pushing for improved immigration policies and initiatives. However, it, we, we really need <laughs> Republicans and Democrats to work together Which is, <laughs> to, pass, to pass these, these policies that would become the law. And, and without that collaboration, there's pushback because, I mean, not to get into specific details, but currently, as we know right now, Republicans are the ones who have more power and control over 
um, over Congress, right? Over their, the votes, just the votes don't don't match. They over exceed what we need to get any type of policies in place. So there's a lot of pushback because of that. Um, executive orders can be signed by the president. We have DACA, but there are conversations to pathway to uh, having a pathway to citizenship. But we need we need Congress to work together, and simply that's not happening. There's a lot of pushback, and so for those reasons, we're where we're at right now. There's been a lot of pushback within even I don't would say five years that uh, the division between Democrats and Republicans yes. has been really bad. Yes. Now, <clears throat> my family, I come from a family of immigrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them got their citizenship one way or another, and they, but they worked really hard to get here. Uh, my wife's family, immigrants, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I know my wife's family and most of my family uh, talk about being Democrats or whatever, and they think I'm a Republican. And really, I'm not. Um, I seem to think that if you get down to the root cause of problems, Mm -hmm. that you could solve the problem instead of just treating the the side effects, Mm -hmm. right? Um, When you see Republicans screaming about the security of this country. Mm-hmm. I tend to think that if we were to get paperwork or get any kind of registration for immigrants to come in here and work, that that would have more of a security impact on this country than anything else. Mm-hmm. So us having all these illegal immigrants in here, it's kind of that we... that. Republicans are are creating, you know, all these illegal because they don't want to fix this immigration problem. They would, they're kind of hindering themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like for us to know and understand that there are jobs out there that nobody wants to do, mm-hmm. and it's being done by immigrants. Mm-hmm. Whether it's cleaning the hotel rooms, uh, whether it's picking lettuce or oranges or doing whatever. Mm-hmm. If we can get everybody registered, that would be a big part of uh, securing the borders to this country. But nobody wants to see that because all people want to scream about is, you're a Democrat and you're a Republican, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But I... I hope that uh, what you're encountering is not anything close to that. Well, no, and, and I do, I do want to mention that all of the data shows that the, the violence and the domestic terrorism that happens here in the U.S. or has taken place in the last few years, the percentages pike um, over white U.S. citizens engaging in this and leading in this type of crimes over the significantly smaller amount of undocumented people engaging in criminal activity in the U.S. So it's actually the opposite. 
when when I when I hear that um, certain people or individuals think that the crime that's being committed in the U.S. here, whether it's uh, killing innocent people or domestic um, domestic crimes here in the U.S. are led by immigrant undocumented individuals, it is simply untrue. All of the data shows that it is actually white individuals who conduct these crimes at much higher rates than undocumented people. I mean, drastically much higher rates. As far as uh, the type of contributions that undocumented people contribute here, undocumented people have to pay taxes across the U.S. when they go to work. And those taxes are taken away from us. However, we do not benefit back from it. We have to pay taxes, especially if you ever want to adjust your status and you want to be good, quote unquote, on good terms with the government, you have to uh, pay taxes and pay your taxes when you go to the grocery store and when you go to work, a percentage gets taken away from you. However, we don't benefit, we don't see benefits from that. Unless you file your taxes like I do, I have a social, I file my taxes and I get my, my tax return, we do not qualify, that includes DACA recipients like myself, for any type of government assistance such as food stamps or Medi-Cal. So I pay for that and I receive zero back. And who benefits from that? U.S. citizens, people who have either permanent resident status or U.S. citizenship. I don't benefit from it, but I pay into it. So there alone, there's a huge injustice because those 8 million people that we talked about, at least those who are working, which assuming that we're, again, talking about millions who are working, all pay into that, but they don't benefit from that. So huge injustice. And to the last point that you made, which was, you know, all of these jobs who many others might not want to do, such as work in a field or engaging in... Um, heavy physical labor, right? We do this work and we're not taking the work away from anyone because these are jobs that are hard, physical, physically intensive jobs that most US citizens do not want to engage in, do, wanna, do not want to do. So we're not taking these jobs away from anyone. Um, so I think there are more benefits to undocumented people being here if we only gave, the number of undocumented people access to be able to work in a legal way and be able to exercise their social security, the economy would boost even more, right? Instead, you are criminalizing people for working under, under the table, and then we criminalize people who sell fruit and food on the street, as an example, right? But then what do you want from them? We penalize them if they go work at a restaurant or anywhere else with a fake social security, like it happened to me. And then we penalize them by telling them, you can't sell food on the street to survive. You need a permit or we don't give out permits depending on where you live. So what do you do? Rob, right? And then we penalize people for doing that. And I'm not saying that that's what people do, but then, then immigration is, is natural. It's been here since the beginning of humankind. It's not going anywhere. And to try to stop it and put barriers is not only ridiculous, but it's not helpful. Because as humans, we're going to migrate. It's just gonna happen. And with climate change going on and 
the climate change crisis that's taking place, we're going to we're going to start to see yet again more migration, not only across the U.S. and and uh, Mexico, but throughout the world, actually. Sea levels are rising, and that's why there's such intersectionality. When I talk about social justice, it's not only about talking about what's going on with immigration or what's going on with the environment, but there's a marriage, right? As I said, sea levels rises. Where do you think those people are going to go? They're going to move somewhere. And they might come here because there are better opportunities to work, right? But if you don't give us the opportunity to work in a quote-unquote legal way, in a documented way, with, with, we have to survive. I mean, when you get hungry and you have no food, I mean, I've sold things at the street because I got to make it happen. And if I see a cop and they're telling me no, I'm going to move from that corner to the other corner. But we're here to survive. It's like human instinct, so I think that the U.S. government can either get with the program or they can continue to create the, the problem, which is, I think, a result of what we're seeing now. And the U.S. kind of you know, has this thing where it, uh, it kind of benefits from penalizing people. Yes. From locking people up and having them in the prison system. To the detriment of tax, taxpayers, because, you know, it's costly. It's not free to have someone detained. No. And another thing that a lot of people don't talk about, it's the horrific conditions, inhumane conditions that incarcerated people and detainees are experiencing. And immigration uh, detention centers, as an example, when COVID hit, and we're still in the times of COVID, COVID ran rampant and people got very sick and many of those individuals died. So I, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation because I think that those detention centers should not even exist, right? But families continue to be separated. It's not a happy place. People are being criminalized for wanting to survive and save their lives. And they're fleeing persecution and they're, ple- they're fleeing um, death. They're, they're fleeing horrible things that most people here in the U.S. will never have to witness or even hear of. And so for me is being a a decent human being is lending a hand to those who need it. That's why asylum is there. Asylum is a legal right. And it shouldn't take as long as it takes. We're talking about years for someone to apply for asylum ship. It takes years for them to possibly even be able to get to a place where they can get adjustment of status, a green card, and eventually get to citizenship. We're talking about years. And it shouldn't take that long. But... That's the way it is. So people follow, are trying to follow protocol and the law, and they get on this waiting uh, list. Unless you're one of the princes in Saudi Arabia. Correct, who can correct. Pay the politicians correct. towards their re-election fund. And exactly. Then they can get whatever they want. Exactly. Which we've had here in America. Yes. It's, it's kind of crazy to see... The blatant, mm-hmm. blatant politicians, Republican, Democrat, mm-hmm. everybody, accept bribes. Mm-hmm. And they call it, well, it's not a bribe because it's going towards my reelection. Mm-hmm. Or um, I can have uh, Big Pharma pay me so much money without mm-hmm. it being anything. Mm-hmm. These guys are. They're holding people back, and they're they're really dividing this country. That's kind of crazy, and uh, I don't agree with uh, 
the stuff that's going on. But I would love to see somebody get down to the root cause of all the problems. Obviously, not we can't do that right away, but we need somebody who can figure out that <clears throat> our leadership is what put this country where it's at right now. Well, I think it's the leadership, but it's also the way people think and what's been normalized, right? And I think when you think of the country, I think we have to go back to the foundation of the country and how it was founded. And it was founded on racism, and it was fi founded on, on division, and it was founded on white supremacists, and it was founded on saying people from... Uh, of British descent are better than people from Italy descent, right? And then creating this, the idea of whiteness and white versus black and greed and money and killing and massacring indigenous people who were here at, from the beginning of the time that this country was, was incepted. So to say that we only need a good leader, I mean, I think it's, we need so much more than that, right? Because I think racism is at the root of all of this. Discrimination is at the root of all of this. And you continue to see the way, for instance, that black people are treated, the way that women are treated, the way that indigenous immigrant people are treated. And one person is not only going to solve that. Not when you go to certain states that are red states that I would absolutely never even consider living in there because I am absolutely terrified of possibly living in a place that my, where my safety is at stake where I'm unsure, and, and that's that I'm privileged because I'm tall, I'm lighter complected, right? And I speak English now. So in quote, I'm, I'm quote unquote passing, I'm passing, right? But there are still many people who have more indigenous features and who their accent is more prominent and who don't have the academic background. And that discrimination continues, and that discrimination leads to hatred, and that hatred mean, leads to you're not as good as I am, so therefore you black woman go live over there, and I go live over there, and you undocumented person don't get papers, and so it continues to fuel who we vote for and the type of people who we put in this decision-making um, places, which continue to revolve, and it's a cycle. It's a cycle, right? So it needs to start by having conversations like the ones that you and I are having because I don't have the privilege to vote. I vote with my dollars, but others have the privilege to go and cast their vote and put certain people in a place where they can vote for the type of policies that we need that will eventually put the right leader in that position, right? But it's more than just having the right leader there. It's having the right people, the right voters, and the right mindset, and having good intentions when we're talking to our neighbor across the way who might be a black person and genuinely being a decent human being to them. That's what it's about, right? And, and, and I mean, not just the other day, I mean, I don't know if you heard in the news, this African-American man was running, going for a run. You're he, talking about the Aubrey Char. Yes, yes. And, and he was massacred by these three white men who claimed that they were protecting their community, right? And it's been so politicized, and now uh, you have polar opposites of people saying, no, he, was, he shouldn't have been there. Oh, they were just protecting the community, you know? And so I'm, I'm using this as an example that discrimination, racism, and hatred, and it's very much alive. Do you think that some of that discrimination and hatred is being caused by people other than white people? Is it being caused by people other than white people? No, that's not what I meant. 
What I meant was, is there discrimination and racism being caused by other than white people? I mean, sure, discrimination can be caused by anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to be white to be racist, right? Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be white. You can be <clears throat> blue, brown, yellow, whatever color you want to be, and you can be, you can be a racist, discriminatory individual. Sure, you can hate on someone else despite of the skin of your color. But there's this thing here that is, it's systemic. It's systemic. And so while a black person or a brown person or I can be racist, which I'm not, I'm using it as an example, can be racist. Socially speaking, the amount of power, I have no power in terms of social structures because there's this thing called white supremacist. And this is the white, white supremacy as a structure that runs and rules the way that society moves. And until that gets dismantled, these other groups, despite of possibly one or two or some of them being racist or discriminatory, until this gets dismantled, we're not gonna move forward anywhere because they're the ones who are controlling things. And that's what white supremacist is. That's what this, this, this social structure is. So, um, so yeah, to answer your question, there are others I'm sure who can and have been racist, but ultimately it is led, profoundly led, and fueled by white individuals. Are all white people racist? No. Do all white people benefit and are privileged of what racism is? Yes. They all benefit from it. It's called, it's called white privilege. They don't experience the type of racial discrimination that someone who's black or brown will or does. There are other discriminations that they might experience, right? As women, even a blonde, blue-eyed woman, right? At the end of the day, there might be job disparities. She might still struggle to get that job or have equal pay, despite of her being white, despite of her being white, uh, having blue eyes. There are still discriminations. Education uh, levels. Perhaps there's a white man who is, grew up very, very poor, and he had setbacks because of those financial uncertainties and lack of resources. Sure, but if we're talking specifically about, about white privilege and certain benefits, they're always gonna be ahead of the game. There, there are certain advantages that white people have inherently that is given to them from the moment that they're born, and that's the way that people continue to foster racism by treating white people, I'm not saying mistreat them, but by treating them better and treating someone who doesn't look white, the opposite of a Eurocentric, stylistic, self-presenting individual, treating them differently than this white person. And it's a cycle that continues to happen. And it continues to fuel these very same incidents like the one I just told you about. It continues to fuel individuals like me not having access to a pathway to citizenship. That's what it's all about. Because people are afraid. They're afraid to share with others who don't look like them. They're afraid that someone like me can possibly be a lawyer and go to court across from them and have access to power, legal power. They're petrified to share that because they want to keep it at the top. And that's where the power is. That's what it's all about. Now, I seem to disagree with you on one thing. Well, a couple things, actually. Why people are discriminated against. By, you see it a lot by the media when they seem to think that uh, it's okay for black people to discriminate against white people. 
I've seen it mm-hmm. in my when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I've seen it uh, just in different areas here. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know when I went overseas and I seen um, discrimination, it was more all along the lines of not their skin color; mm-hmm. it was power. Mm-hmm. I see some of that effects here where people who have power want to keep their power and they use racism mm-hmm. as part of their thing. But I've seen the same kind of actions from a black man who's in power as a white man who's in power. Mm-hmm. Is that... Do you have you never seen that or I think you're alluding to the concept of reverse racism. And reverse racism is when a person of color expresses or shows racism towards uh, to, toward another person, right? In the spectrum of social spectrum, re- reverse racism is not possible. And the reason why is because although you might have a black person um mistreating or being quote unquote racist to a white person, that white person's not ultimately impacted in the greater scheme of things. You don't think he's impacted emotionally? He might be emotionally, I mean, but in the greater scheme of things, that white person still has certain advantages over the black person. Greatly, greatly. Hmm. So a black person in power mm-hmm. who's being just racist towards a white person, mm-hmm. that white person still has... Power over the black man? Yes. That's not what I've seen, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I what I would like to get to, though, is the that being positive. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've also seen black men mm-hmm. who have struggled coming up mm-hmm. and gotten to a power a position of power mm-hmm. who was more positive towards the people underneath him mm-hmm. because of the struggles that he came up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you. You struggled so much that you know that being negative towards the people behind you or below you or whatever it mm-hmm. is, that's, that's not what's going to make this a better world. Right. When we can get to everybody being treated equally, blacks, Mexicans, Salvadorians, whoever, in a positive way, mm-hmm. treat them with respect, even though you're in a position of power. That's what I think is going to change this country. Yes, but I think that there's a difference between equality and equity. And what you just alluded to is equality. And I think that... When we're talking about equality, is treating everyone across the board with the same, giving them the same resources or treating them equally. I mean, that sounds great, and that should be happening. But when you have, generally speaking, people who are up here and have advantages to education, to work, to housing, to anything. I mean, just walk into a restaurant. My white person's going to, I was just there at a restaurant yesterday, came from work. I was dressed nicely, and I was not getting the same service as all the other white presenting patrons and I was in a very white space, right? Is it all in my head? Someone might say that it is, but I know that it isn't, right? I know it's real. And so um, now imagine a black person because I just talked about 
that I can be passing at times. And I don't mean passing as in white, but because I look safer to the white person, to the white man, to the white woman. But let me go back to what I was talking about, equity and equality. Um, You have certain people that are here all the time and they're treated with equality, but then you have people who are down here. So equity, right, equity is making sure that they get what they need to get up here. And then you give them equality. But how can you give someone equality when they're down here, right? How can you treat everyone equally when we're struggling with housing um, insecurities, when we're struggling with possibly deportations, right? When I am not sure when I had to stop going to grad school because I just didn't have the money, which all culminated from lack of status. So I'm not, tre- I'm not even being treated equally, right? You need to bring, give them equity and bring, make sure that they rise to the occasion, which means that we have to provide more opportunities in terms of specifically like job opportunities to black men. Make sure that they have the type of resources that they need so that they can thrive in school. I think that if we were to not focus on their color, but on the communities that are impoverished. Well, I wish that we weren't focusing on the color. I wish that that's what was happening, and I wish that that's where we were, we, we were at. But the history of this country is not that we've been, we have not focused on color. Because it's been focused on color, in order for us to reverse that, we have to provide the resources to the people of color first. Now, you're talking about poverty as an example. Yes, are white people, are there white people who need resources because they're so poor that they need assistance? Absolutely, and we should give them to them also. I'm not saying you're white so you don't get anything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are less white people than black and brown people who need resources. So yes, if a white person comes up and says, I, I'm poor, I need food stamps, let, they get to apply just like everyone else. Right, But then when you see that there are more people of color applying for food stamps, as an example, which is actually true across the U.S., what happens is that jokes start to come up. It's the black and brown people who are always taken advantage of. But isn't those, is that, those are the communities who need it the most. Because historically speaking, we have redlined those communities. We have told those communities, you stay in the South. You we don't want you in the North. You don't belong. You stay over there. You stay in Compton. You stay in San Bernardino, and don't you dare come to this law school over here because you're not as good as us, right? And, and maybe they're not telling you like this, but they tell you in so many different ways. Finding those clues. Exactly. Like you talked about your life. Exactly. And for some people, it's more visible than others. And for some people, some, some people who tell you you better stay in your lane, right, they get more gutsy than others, Right. I have been to restaurants where I'm told don't speak Spanish, this is America. Hmm. And I'm not talking about 20 years ago, right? It's still happening today, right? It's like, get with the program, this is a US, speak our language and adapt, adapt, adapt. And I mean, again, I'm not saying to completely dismiss white people, they continue to get the same resources Right? They have access to everything, but they have access to everything and then some. Black and brown people don't. So <clears throat> I walked into, I was in uh, North Carolina 
uh, visiting a friend. <clears throat> and I walked into a, what do you call it, cafe, mm-hmm. right, where they serve breakfast and stuff. It was myself and my other friend who looks like me. Mm-hmm. He's actually a little darker than me, but we, both Marines, veterans, uh, serve our country. We've done good for this country, and we've never committed a crime or anything. Mm-hmm. We're wearing sunglasses, and we walked into this place, and everybody stopped. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about 20, 30 years ago. I'm talking about when did we go to uh, New York? Five years ago. Everybody stopped and was concerned about their well-being because two Mexicans walked into this cafe. Mm-hmm. So I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If we could teach people, yes, it, it's not very good for your mental health for always be dealing with racism over and over again, but... And I know it's telling people pull up your bootstraps and just uh, work harder for your stuff, then you'll be more for, fulfilled in your life. That's that's not the answer either. Mm-hmm. But in dealing with conflicts, your character is defined how you deal with this conflict. So if you deal with racism and you come out of this negative, it's not a good thing. What how, what do you mean come out of this negative? Like you, you ever see the movie, uh, any movie where they have Asians running a liquor store in a impoverished neighborhood, mm-hmm. and they say that these Asians are oh my god they they, they look at the black people because they're gonna steal or whatever mm-hmm. and. Although a black man has robbed a liquor store, not all black men do that. Right. But certain people think, well, when a black man goes into my liquor store, he's going to steal. Mm-hmm. So they're dealing with that situation in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I would love for people to, okay, this person's negative. I'm not going to have that negativity. I'm going to keep doing like you did, where you pulled yourself above the neighborhood, like, when you tried to do better than what was being shown to you. Yes, but I think a lot of that comes with having to educate yourself. And I'm armed, and I can say that now, that I'm armed with all of this information and knowledge and understanding. And also my background is in sociology. So I'm able to understand how, how these social structures work or work, work against each other and how certain communities or people benefit or are impacted by these very same structures that I just explained to you. Um, and so while I've been able to, I'm able to understand it differently, you have individuals who haven't because they have not had the privilege to have access to the information or have access to these conversations. Because they're given the wrong information. Not only the wrong information, but they're just trying to survive day to day. Mm-hmm. And while I have done that and I'm doing that right, I have also been exposed to different environments, to different conversations. A lot of that happened through my engagement in social justice. But imagine if from a young age, right, uh, I had to figure out how to survive and that led to me 
as an example, going into a liquor store and, and stealing or engaging in sex work and having to sell my body to make money to survive, as an example, right? And that's all I did to survive. I mean, we're trying to survive. And I'm not saying that is, I'm not, I'm not encouraging that, but there are, there are people who, who, who that, that is what they come from, right? And I don't want to place, and I'm, I know that's not what, what you're saying, but I don't want to cast any shame of I'm better than them. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's what's happening a lot, especially in the immigration movement of DACA recipients, as an example, and you see that a lot, is let's give a pathway to citizenship to DACA recipients because they have an education because they're working, they have a social security, and you need to have zero criminal activity on your record to be able to get access to, to DACA. So we are like the epitome of the American dream. We want them here. And even then, people, some people don't want us here, right? But we, they're okay. They're okay. Because I have done good by the social standards in the U.S., Right, I'm a good person who's worked, paid my taxes, and continue to work, and I got an education. Checked all the boxes, boom, you're good to go, right? But then what happens to those brothers and sisters of mine who have not had the privilege to get DACA and get a job because their background's different, because they aged out, because they came here after the year? And I'm using that as an, as an example. I mean, you can apply the, the unfortunate aspects of like me having access to DACA to other things, right? Like maybe uh, I was never forced to have to prostitute myself, so I never did. But some women did, and that's how they thrive and survived, and that's what they continue to do. Does that mean that they don't have access to a better type of lifestyle? No. If someone robbed a liquor store and they became incarcerated, does that mean that they don't have access to a second time, a, a better opportunity to improve their life? I think they do. So... That's that's what I'm alluding to. Yeah. Which is awesome that you can uh, sit there and, and have that education and be able to help out people mm -hmm. with what you're doing. Um, like I said, I would love for a good leader to start this. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. It's going to take more than just a good leader, but I think we can start it with a good leader. I, I'm guessing you don't like Biden by a good I'm not, leader. I'm not talking about... <laughs> okay. I, like I said... <laughs> Since we've been talking about politics. No, no, no. Like I said, people think that I'm a Republican. I'm not. I blame Republicans and Democrats yeah. for the current state of this country. I think if we can learn how to solve problems from the root cause of the problem and not just treat the side effects, mm -hmm. we can get a lot accomplished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I said, if we... You turn president next week, right? Mm -hmm. You're the president. You get all the undocumented, illegal immigrants, whatever you want to call them, you get them all together and say, here, fill this paperwork out. Tomorrow you're going to be registered. Mm -hmm. How much safer are we going to be in this country? But people can't understand that if they want to talk about security or talk about borders and this and that, these people want to be here because they want to help. They mm -hmm. want to work and they want to take care of what mm -hmm. they're going to take care of. If we make it, make it easier for them to work, there won't be 
the desperate times that they go through. Mm-hmm. Like you said, right? We'll have less of that. And it's not just them. It's not just the illegals. It's not just the black men who are committing the crimes. White people commit just as much crime, if not more, than whatever. I mean, the statistics show that white men uh, lead in criminal activity by a large percentage over people of color in domestic crimes and other criminal activities across the board. I think the media has done a really good job at putting so much of the blame on black people. And yes, there is a higher percentage of black men specifically who currently... Um, make up most of the incarcerated people in this country. And I think that goes back to white privilege and how white people, um, white men, and white men and women too are able to get out of these institutions at a faster rate and get lesser of... Um, Crimes, lesser terms. Versus black people because even the quote-unquote justice system is very much um, structured in a way and, and, and fueled by this discrimination, right, of giving higher um, times and harsher times to people of color versus white people. I mean, there have been so much data, so much research done on that across the board from whether you're at the federal courts, state courts, and even the Supreme Court. and it's very visible and very palpable. It's not, you can have someone who committed a, a, petty, a petty theft crime, for example, and is black versus a white man who committed a horrific misdemeanor. And sometimes the black person ends up having a harsher term than the white person. And you can help but, but not assume, but realize that it's because of race that people are treated differently. Hmm. Well, I don't know the statistics, and I haven't looked into it, so um, I would like to see more impoverished communities helped out, Yes, which I would think uh, would help out the the current situation that we're in, but uh, especially (sighs) because... We're going through just weird times because of COVID and doing whatever, but um, yeah. But, you know, like I said, a good leader who can solve problems by the root cause of the problem and who can bring people together Mm -hmm. to talk about things, Mm -hmm. to have those conversations, Mm -hmm. to look at the real facts instead of just what the media is telling everybody. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, what I would like for this country. Anything else? No, I think we covered so much. We did. Yes. We talked about a little bit of everything. We covered a lot. Yes. And uh, I hope you're doing very well. Thank I you. I really, I see you, f- um, just trying to achieve such greatness and I, I hope you, you do. Yes. I really hope to get I really hope you get what you deserve. Thank you. Because you deserve a lot. Yes. Yes. I know that now. I've been knowing that for some time. Yeah. Good. <laughs>
Well, that's it for now. I want to be clear on something. No one person grows up the same. Everyone has their own opinion and how they come up with it. That's why I started this, so that I can understand you and your guide to your path. If we all have different strengths, then maybe, just maybe, we can learn from each other.